Chapter 26 Freedom from Slavery I was exhausted and still hungry by the time we returned to the warehouse we were occupying. Jenny quickly solved the hunger issue, but sleep would have to wait. I needed to coordinate with those that would be heading out tonight to make sure everyone understood where to meet and set up our advance camps. Once all the planning had been accomplished and I had made the final decision on who would be escorting me, I was able to meditate and actualize the experience and level increase I had gained that day. I wondered if my leveling speed wasn't being helped by the system blatantly. Going from level 1 to level 3 in a few weeks seemed exceptionally fast, and I'd accused Lean of being power leveled. Still, entering my ring and making use of the guided meditation the trainer offered me helped calm my mind and slow my thoughts and concerns that clamored for attention. I decided that the extra points I received from leveling would once again go into agility and intellect. I briefly considered placing all four points in intellect, but my recent death had been instructive. I needed increased physical martial abilities as well as magical. Relying solely on magic against the forces that I may encounter was a recipe for disaster. Decision made, I began the process of actualizing the stored potential, the experience that had been accumulated. The transition went much smoother this time, as I was familiar with the process and knew what to expect. Name, Te Mac de Belleros Ye Cryonax. Rank, Prince Level 3. Title, Summerland's Protector. Title, Zeus's Bane. Danu's Kiss, you have been blessed by wild magic and the goddess Danu. The wee folk, sprites, and earth elementals will obey your commands. You can call upon the wild magic to enhance any spell cast once every third day. Slytherns created by you will conform and move to your will after creation. Health pool, 3,206, 3,610. Magic strength, 4,406, 4,810. Strength, 14.03, 2.02. Agility, 18.03, 2.02. Intellect, 24.03, 2.02. Willpower, 20.03, 2.02. Affinities, Earth Affinity, 15%. Air Affinity, 32%. Water Affinity, 15%. Fire Affinity, 100%. Nature Affinity, 70%. Death Affinity, 15%. Mind, 55%, Ice, 100%, Spell Menu, Disabled, Skill Menu, Disabled. I noticed that I had a new affinity. Ice was certainly related to my new bloodline. No matter how I tried, I was unable to open my Skills or Spells tab. I wasn't sure if the functionality of the system's menus were being disabled as part of the changes Corrupt System Avatar had attempted to instill or if it had something to do with my newly awakened bloodline. I eschewed my normal nightly training session and continued to meditate, refusing to obsess or think about the deaths that my presence in the wild hunt had caused. I knew that I wasn't really responsible, that I had been the Fulcrum and S-Prime's agent, but still, I had been the agent of death. Eventually, my meditation transitioned into real sleep. Thankfully, dreams and nightmares spared me and I had a restful night free of torment from those that had died. The next morning's lavitations took longer than normal, Cedric's attempts to rush me notwithstanding. 
I found myself gazing at my reflection in the mirror, mesmerized by my new appearance. The changes the Kuen Apnud avatar had instigated were startling. My skin, once glowing with health and vitality, was now so much more. You would think an interlocking pattern of snowflakes would detract from that aura of vitality, but instead they enhanced it. The pattern was raised, almost forming a layer of scales, similar to what you would find on snakes. A silver filigree of lace, shimmering in crystalline patterns of wonder and beauty. I understood what Gwen meant when he discussed beauty. I was captivated by my reflection, adjusting my stance, tilting my head, flexing my muscles. I watched mesmerized as movement enhanced the patterns of snowflakes, light-reflected prisms of color, a brilliant kaleidoscope of movement. Cedric's embarrassed coughing from the doorway managed to attract my attention and break the glamour and illusion cast by my appearance. It made me wonder why no one had been affected by my metamorphosis yesterday. This new look, to glamour and beguile, unintentionally, might be problematic. It would explain why Gwyn mentioned my appearance. As I left the bathroom, I sent a narrow thread of awareness into my spatial ring, hoping to find some loose material that would allow me to conceal my face and the tightly interlocking snowflakes that adorned and enhanced my countenance. Not finding anything, in desperation, I reached for a shirt thinking to use some of the fabric to form a type of veil. A stray thought had me wonder if my new lineage might be the solution. Without the status screen for skills and spells, I had no way of knowing what abilities I had gained. But that might be a blessing in disguise. Instead of constraining my powers and skills and channeling them into established patterns and areas that System had identified, why not try to use my magic constructively? My new bloodline was related to ice and snow. Logically, there seemed to be no connection between these abilities and what I needed. But intuitively, I knew there was a connection. I'd always been more of an abstract thinker, able to see patterns and connections that had no clear or concise connection. These leaps in logic had proven useless countless times. And this process had an idea just on the edge of awareness. It was like when you're trying to think of a word, just on the tip of your tongue, but you can't quite remember what it is. As soon as you stop obsessing over it and go to think of something else, you remember the word. Snow, ice, sculpture, mask. I remembered seeing amazing ice sculptures that were lifelike and intricate on Earth. If Cryonax was the prince of winter, then something as mundane as molding ice should be within my purview. And if that was the case, why not use this ability to create and mold ice and snow to form an illusion? A mask formed of magic and ice that would mold to my face, be capable of moving and adapting, and hide and diffuse my ability to glamour. Turning around and returning quickly to the ensuite, I once more stood in front of the mirror to scrutinize my appearance. Unsure how to begin, I applied the lessons I'd learned with my control of Belarus aura. Intent? Will. Release. I directed my magic to establish connections with my new bloodline, examining the difference, seeking and scanning as I expanded my search criteria to include my entire body. I entered a fugue state, able to watch as blood marrow created blood cells, and blood cells created oxygen and energy to tissue, nerves, and muscles. The scan was intrusive, 
But once I was able to recognize exactly how Belarus lineage modified my cellular capacity, I easily discovered the changes made by the Cryonax lineage. It was a simple matter of enhancing that lineage with magic and taming the icy landscape to my will. A soft fog began to coalesce around me, the world encased in the splendor of winter. A living snow globe began to manifest with me at its epicenter. As snowflakes began to form and fell silently, as more snow formed, I began to gather the individual snowflakes, layering them sequentially, compacting and sculpting the packed snow and ice until a mask was formed. Placing the mask over my face, I continued to apply the falling snowflakes until I had created the desired effect. A living, malleable snow sculpture. It was exactingly detailed, conformed perfectly to my facial structure, and most importantly, suppressed the glamour and beguilement Gwyn had gifted me with. The mask was so intricate that it conformed to the minute details my face displayed during movement and emotion. Instead of a cold, lifeless mask, the glittering, reflective properties of freshly fallen snow was transmitted as the light caused the individual flakes to sparkle with the intricacy of wonderfully crafted diamonds. Nice look. That isn't going to be easily overlooked, Carrot snickered. Should I go without? I wondered if this wasn't over the top. It wasn't as if the changes to my appearance were horrific, simply other. The glamour was probably easily ignored by most fae. After all, the sea were not ugly people, and beauty as glamour was certainly not a new concept. Most will consider an affectation, but why not? It will allow you some autonomy. You can change the look and characteristics of the mask, or simply not don it when you want to hide your identity. Satisfied with the results, I followed Cedric to breakfast, excited to begin the next step in my adventure. I paused, startled, my surprise obvious when I saw Lean among those awaiting my arrival. Choosing to ignore her presence for the moment, I joined the rest of my vassals at the table. Good morning, your highness, Lorne greeted me, nervously. I apologize for the lack of notice, but we need a decision from you before we can depart. Duke Adoin has requested Squire Lean's presence at his estate. During my discussion with his staff yesterday, to inform him of what had transpired, they requested that she be allowed to join our group and travel with us. I glanced over at Lian, wondering what the Duke had planned for her. I wasn't comfortable escorting her to her execution. She'd never tormented or bullied Carrot, so I had no ill intentions towards her. I secretly believed that her mother was murdered by Lady Patricia to more easily control and corrupt Lord Cal. We agreed to a small party with only a few escorts each. That should see us safely to Duke Adoin in three or four days, Lauren explained. I've updated the Duke's people, so he knows to be expecting you and the time frame of our arrival. I haven't contacted their majesties directly, but I left messages with their staff and believe Duke Adoin will also convey your intentions. Draken, Colin, I will task you with Squire Leon's safety. I ordered, tacitly agreeing to include her in our party. Gil and Rill, I want you roaming front and back as we travel. Keep an eye out. Once I've arrived at Duke Adoin's, I'm sure his people will provide a proper escort and protection for her, but I want nothing happening to her while under our protection. Speed is preferable, so a trip of three or four days is acceptable. 
But, I paused, making sure I had each of their attention. Is there any reason she can't travel by skimmer and arrive there directly? I asked. A skimmer would be faster. Euron agreed. But it would send the wrong message. Squire Leon is Lord Kell's designated heir. As the heir to a fife, even if ultimately Duke Adoine strips her of those lands, she has a certain prestige that comes with her position. She would be ill-served to arrive at Duke's estate like cargo. It's the same reason we are riding mounts. Perception is paramount for the ranked. I've arranged my own mount to ride, but there are a few animals in the stable that now belong to you, Leon said, speaking up for the first time. Along with golds, armor, and items you gained from Thom. The stable master informed me of five animals that Thom owned, and should rightly belong to you now. I believe you have already made arrangements to meet with him this morning. If you find they are not suitable, the stable master has been instructed to allow you to select alternative mounts from those available. That's fine, I agreed, before taking the last bite of eggs. I pushed my plate away and took a sip of the coffee Jenny had served. It wasn't the exact flavor I was used to, and it tasted like a dash of cinnamon and nutmeg had been added to the brew, something to remove the bitterness, but it wasn't bad. It wasn't served with sugar or cream. Honey and milk were used instead. The taste was acquired, but it served the same purpose as coffee and gave me my morning jolt of caffeine. I believe Henry had already communicated with the stable about the mounts that were now considered mine, those that have been awarded after Thom's banishment, I asked. Yes, your highness. Five Kelpir had belonged to Thom as well as a few others that belonged to his retainers, that you were awarded after combat, Henry explained. Checking to see if the others were done with their breakfast, I motioned them towards the exit. Nodding to Jenny, I moved to walk next to her. Jenny, breakfast was as wonderful as ever. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your decision to join us. I shudder to think what kind of campfare we would come up with if left to our own devices as we traveled. She laughed delightedly, blushing faintly in appreciation of my comments. The skimmer trip to a well-kept and neatly manicured field took almost no time. Kel's stables were located on the outskirt of town, directly off the main concourse, as one left town. Leon and I were surrounded by the four guards once we disembarked from the skimmers, their attention to detail and a sense of heightened awareness obvious as we walked the last few steps to the stables. Cedric, Jenny, Euron, and Lorne were somehow included in that protection detail, while somehow making it appear as if they were not a part of our formation. A paddock opened to a stunning vista and a bounty of beautiful horses frolicking and grazing within the lush grasslands gave a serene, natural feng shui to the vista. The horses were familiar in appearance and temperament, exactly what I would expect to find on earth. Four legs, flowing manes, and colors of reds, browns, whites, and blacks, frolicking and prancing with high spirits and unfettered worries. As we neared, a group of horses separated from the others. I began to notice differences as they ran to avoid us. Three of the animals had silver collars bolted around their necks, and although at first glance they looked very similar to horses, there was something not quite right about them. I wasn't sure what the difference was, but the sights and smells of the place was comforting. A good place to say goodbye to Fife Kell, 
and begin the next stage of our adventure. Your Highness, I am Fego, Lord Kell's stablemaster. The man said, stepping forward and bowing, interrupting my enjoyment of the view. I've been speaking with your staff about the animals Thom kept here. These three adults and the two smaller fowls were owned by him, he explained, as he motioned to his staff who quickly opened a side pen. He seemed concerned about something as he finished his explanation by pointing to the three horses with collars and the two smaller fowls that were obviously part of a family unit. The keep has agreed to provide you with mounts for your guards and vassals. They are being saddled now. When you arrive at Duke Adoin's estate, someone will take over their care and see that they are returned. Fago was an interesting man, short, barely taller than three feet, but he was perfectly formed, not inflicted with dwarfism or the associated physical characteristics that usually accompanied that mutation. What race is he, Carrot? I asked. Brownie, he answered. Brownies have a special affinity for animals and crafting. Most nobles will have one employed to manage their stables and aviaries. Strolling over to the animals, I began running my hands along their necks, grabbing halters so I could examine their eyes and teeth. I really had no clue what I was doing or what I was looking at, but I remembered seeing these actions used on TV shows I'd enjoyed. The teeth finally clued me into what I was seeing. These weren't the teeth of grazing animals. These animals were meat eaters. Carrot? I began. What kind of animals are these? They aren't animals, Tay. These are Kelpies. Shackled with silver and magic, they have been enslaved to obey any who command them through their collars. Kelpies? Slaves? I spat out, not caring that I did so aloud, and not silent to Carrot. You would have me become a slaver. And what of the fowls, Kelpie children? Your highness? Fago stuttered, in confusion as fear crossed his face. The reason for his uncertainty and unease was now obvious. These animals belong to Sir Tom. He decided to begin breeding them. He did so with the knowledge and approval of Lady Patricia. Turning to Leon, somehow both fire and ice flashed in my eyes. I demanded, and Lord Kell? Was he aware his son was keeping slaves? Leon turned pale as my anger blazed. I don't know, your highness. I don't see why he wouldn't have been aware. There is no law against owning Kelpies. They aren't seely. They are barely more than animals. Most highly ranked that are landed keep a seely herd. Well, if there isn't a law against enslaving them, I hissed, there should be. How do I remove these collars and free these people? You just need to channel intent and will into the silver collars, Fago answered, hope replacing fear from his face. Maybe I wasn't the only one that considered Kelpie people and these actions reprehensible. And the fowls? They are bonded to their parents. Free the parents and the fowls will be free too. Reaching out to grab the nearest collar, I was shocked when my hands began burning. The pain from simply touching that vile construct almost bringing me to my knees and these beings had to endure that pain every moment of the day. Gritting my teeth, I began to channel intent. Setting my will against the pain, I probed and searched, analyzing how the collar was held together. What spells reinforced this evil? It was a good thing I took the time to examine the spells that had been etched into containing the Kelpie. 
There was a spell of backlash that would kill the Kelpie and the person who removed the collar if certain conditions weren't met. One of the conditions that had been set required Thom to remove a spell lock or the collar would explode. The pain was excruciating, and I could smell the burnt flesh as my hand reacted to the silver and enchantments, but I refused to surrender to that pain. I was a prince with the blood of gods flowing through my veins, and I would not be denied. Twisting my energy into the now familiar Mobius strip, I spun my energies until they surrounded and buffeted the collar. Activating Belarus's aura, I expanded the effect to cover all five selfies, and then I pulled. Pulled the energy from the spells powering the enchantment. Pulled the molecules that made up the interwoven links of silver and metal. And pulled the blast that erupted when I broke the enchantment. Moving from Kelpie to Kelpie, I replicated my destruction until the colors were nothing but metal slag littering the ground. I, Prince Tay Mac de Belaros, ye Cryomnax, declare these beings free, slaves no more. Further, I bestow upon each of them the sum of 100 gold so they can start a new life. The same amount Lord Kel allowed Thom when he banished him. Quest hidden. Free the Kelpie. You have begun to right the wrongs that will change the lives of all sea. Although in sleep, the pain of her children has intruded into her dreams. The goddess Danu is grateful and rewards you with 100,000 experience for each person freed from slavery. Quests repeatable. Magic began coalescing around the Kelpies. As soon as I received the hidden quest, a system responded to those completion notifications. Continuing to pulsate Belarus aura in healing waves, I confirmed that any damage they may have taken was healed or healing. Once the energy from the aura seemed to be done doing whatever it was meant to do, and in an explosion of light and sound, five horses were replaced with a man, a woman, a teenage boy, a young girl, and a preschool boy. People, not animals, I thought in fury. The two adults immediately fell to their knees and began bowing to me, both sobbing in relief. Your Highness, the woman gasped, trying to speak clearly through her tears. Thank you. We had given up hope of ever being free again, of our children ever knowing what it is like to run for the sheer joy. I fear much longer in those colors, and we would have become the beasts of burden Sir Tom treated us as. Glaring at Lien, my anger grew. Not people? Just animals? What do you call these? Each of them had an earthiness to them, roots that were solid, a foundation of bedrock that radiated hidden depths and strengths. Their coloring in human form mirrored those that they displayed in their horse form, even going so far as to reproduce the star-like pattern in the youngest girl's hair. Their eyes were uniformly brown and contained that penetrating soul quality that exuded from the young or innocent. How did you become Thom's slaves? I asked, examining them each with my perception, harnessing my anger at their obvious malnutrition and untreated wounds. Kelpie Knight Blaine, level 3. Kelpie Knight Yuna, level 1. Kelpie Commoner Irvin, level 4. Kelpie Female Alma. Kelpie Male Briano. Trickery and stupidity, Knight Yuna admitted, her voice dripping with resentment 
containing any fear or anger she might have felt. Our herd was becoming too large, and the Lord was becoming concerned at the possibility of a rivalry with Blenay. We'd looked up to him growing up, but we knew that at some point, Blenay would have to contend for her Lord if we remained. We respected him, trusted him, and didn't want to initiate a contest for control of the herd. So we began searching for alternative solutions. We were informed that Lord Kel's son wished to establish a new herd of Kelpie near Fife Kel. He was recruiting for an expansion to open and help police new pastures and farmland, a parcel of lands and waters, were being offered for those interested in establishing a new herd colony. The network of ponds that were located on this newly opened land would be ours to control as we established a splinter herd. We agreed to migrate, hoping to build a new colony, and grateful that we wouldn't have to fight for our position or kill our lord. We were barely here two days before we were drugged and while asleep, collared and enslaved. We haven't been able to change form in almost a year, not since we were collared. Knight Blaney added. Did your herd lord know what Thom had planned? I asked. We hope not, but how could he not? Knight Yuna said. Part of the deal when we migrated was to set up trading routes with 10 years of preferential treatment on all trades, discounted prices that would help us to more easily get established. How would Tom explain to the herd lord we no longer needed those trade rights? Knight Yuna asked. They must have conspired together, Knight Blaney concluded. My fury at what had been done to these people had not diminished, but it had become more of a slow simmer. I knew if I ever met Thom again, I would kill him. I wasn't sure what else I could do to help this family, but I wanted to do something. Belarus's lineage had a history that included dealing with issues of slavery, and I intended to continue and build on that history. But I hadn't claimed any lands yet, and I wasn't sure I should telegraph my intentions to give refuge to and free slaves to the current monarchy before I had claimed those lands. Fago, I asked, tabling the greater issue for the moment. Are there any more enslaved Kelpie? Yes, your highness. There are two others. Bring them out so I can remove their collars. I'm sorry, my lord. Those Kelpies are owned lawfully. I looked around until I spotted Lorne, inform Lord Kel's people that I will be claiming two additional Kelpie as spoils. If they have any problem with it, Inform them that I would be more than willing to discuss how reprehensible I consider slavery. Fago, I demanded, turning my attention and anger towards him once more. Now, bring them out. Fago rushed into the stables, wisely deciding to obey my order. He'd probably decided it was safer not to refuse. You're sure there isn't anyone in that keep you want to bring with us? I asked Carrot. I don't want to leave anyone behind that you may have cared for. I'm sure. There are only two or three sprites that I have any real affection for besides Jenny, and they are happy here. Sprites are a strange people. They always seem to live in the present, 
past slights and grudges are just not something they worry about. Give them a task, show them you need them, and they are happy to serve. The sound of Kelpie complaining focused my attention back on the stable doors, and I gasped in shock at the condition of the two animals, seeping open sores, splotches of hair missing, with heads lowered in defeat. These noble creatures had been abused, systematically and continuously. I was so furious that I lost control of Belarus's aura and activated it instinctively, something that hadn't happened in a while. My anger and horror further fueled the energies released, a pulse of pure energy that shoved everyone aside, destroyed even the molecules that were contained in the slave collars, and sent soothing ways of healing that closed wounds, restored hair, and left their coats and eyes gleaming with health and energy. I guess I wasn't as familiar with the abilities of Belarus's aura as I thought. I wasn't aware that my aura could trigger destruction, force, and healing all at the same time, but that was something to examine later. For now, I was pleased with the instant recovery of the Kelpie. The Kelpie transformation between forms was just as spectacular. Light and color released in an incandescent release of energy. The process was slower this time, and I was able to actually see the skin and bones shift and reform into their new forms. Two women this time, I noticed. Commoner, Isodel, level 7. Commoner, Shayla, level 2. Both women moved quickly to join the other Kelpies, before falling to their knees and genuflecting toward me. I felt uncomfortable at the reminder that I hadn't thought to have the first group stand, and realized that until I gave the order, they probably couldn't. I wasn't sure exactly how the politics between factions had developed, but Seely were clearly the top of the food chain. Get up, all of you. I'm freeing you, not collecting slaves and sycophants. Quest update. Two slaves freed. 200,000 experience gained. Come on, stand, stand, I pleaded. Someone help that little boy. Your Highness, Jenny said, grabbing my attention. If you want them to remain free, you can't leave them here. There has been too much resentment. They have been treated too harshly to ever live in peace. The Seelie would destroy them to stave off even the possibility of retaliation. What should I do then? I mused thoughtfully. If we return you to your former herd lord, a battle or challenge will certainly happen. Still, maybe that isn't such a bad idea. We can't allow him to continue to do this to anyone that may threaten his leadership. Where exactly are his pastures and lands? What do you call his claimed holdings? Lian spoke up for the first time, since I had begun my rant. Their properties are called colonies, your highness, and the largest Kelpie settlement is in Duke Adarine's realm. We will pass by it on our way to the stronghold. I'm not sure what the expression on my face reflected. Considering I was wearing a mask, it was hard to believe that my emotions bled through. But judging from the reaction of those around me, as they took a step back, I'm guessing it may have mirrored the decision I'd made. I would be paying this herd lord a visit.